Christian Assembly women, my name is Kelsey Guerra, and I have the honor and privilege this morning of welcoming you to this worship service. Let me start with Psalm 57, 7 and 9 through 11. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. So we're going to do that. We're going to sing the story of salvation. It's a story that began in ages past and continues to the very present of this moment. We sing the story of redemption. Let's sing it together, this new song. In the darkness we were waiting. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the So we sing, praise the Father, praise the Son. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of To reveal the kingdom coming. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake you died.
never gonna let me down Cause you're good, you're good Hi, ladies. I am so glad you're here. I'm glad you're making space in your busy day to either investigate or cultivate a deeper relationship with our triune God. If you are new to studying God's word or jumping into the study for the first time, I want to welcome you and say bravo to you. Well, my name is Shirley. I'm a wife, a mother, actress, and have been part of Christian Assembly community for over 20 years and had the privilege to take a two-year journey in a pastoral apprenticeship with the women's ministry here that sharpened me and refined me in a way I didn't know I needed. So we're going to dive into the study of Acts 19 and 20 and explore what it looks like to be a people who stay the course. The two questions we're going to wrestle with is, what is required in order for us to stay the course? And what is the course that we've been given to run? I pray with the help of the Holy Spirit to share four points that we will be able to apply to our lives to be a people that stay the course. But before we do that, I want to share why I think our time in the study of Acts is so timely and necessary for us, the church, who make up the greater church. We tend to think of the church as a building, and yet we are the church who make up the church body. So I think the pa pandemic challenged us as a church and continues to challenge us if we're willing to be challenged as to what God might be calling his people in this season of life. So we find ourselves in a pandemic, but guess what? We get to be a part of God's story, very much like the early church that was being challenged and stretched towards refinement to do what bring greater number of people to the good news of Jesus, to his sacrifice on the cross and the freedom it offers. <clears throat> um, you know, God speaks to me in, in images or phrases, and in my preparation, he gave me this image that I think um, will be helpful, and um, the image is a women's relay race. I saw this 2018 Olympic relay race, and I was studying it, and then the phrase, it is finished. So I wanna, want you to keep these two things in the back of your mind as we dig in. But before we uh, do that, let's pray. <sighs> Precious Father, thank you for this opportunity to, to be in your word that promises to give hope, that promises to restore and heal and equip. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, teach us, 
Give us discernment, give us eyes to see so that we can be equipped to take this course that you've been given to us and run it well. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. So in a relay race, each woman has a baton that they're either going to give or receive in order for their team to make it to the finish line. But in order to do this successfully, they have to stay in the lane they're assigned and move succinctly with determination and precision to get to the end goal, which is the finish line, which means that they can't spend a lot of time looking at what their opponents are doing. So they have to be laser focused in order for them to uh, finish victoriously or it can cost them the victory. So the early church was being passed a baton from Jesus that required them to wait in Jerusalem in order to receive the Holy Spirit to help them for the next leg of of the race to build and pivot from what they've been accustomed to doing to run the race set before them. We too in this season of a pandemic, as I mentioned earlier, is experiencing a stretching to do the same, just like the early church. Paul and many others were passed a baton and we've been passed a baton. And someone is waiting to receive what you have to give. So what was modeled for you? Or better yet, what was passed down to you? Um, I remember one summer my grandmother was going to come to stay with us because um, it was summer vacation for us. We were still young and my parents were going off to work. And so I have, first of all, I was excited about that and I couldn't wait for her to come. I have such great memories, um, but two I'm going to share. One is that we would, uh, my sister and I would go and pick peaches from this neighborhood tree and then we'd bring them back to her and she would transform them into this delicious peach jam. I loved it so much that I asked her to make that for me as my wedding gift. That's how much I loved it. And Another memory I have that which impacted me in ways I didn't even know was going to impact me was I would sneak and peek as she would um, raise her hands in extension, praising God, saying in Creole, Benistoa l'Eternel, gloire à Jésus, saying, blessed be to God, glory to Jesus. Oh my goodness. Ah, You know, seeing her in her room as she created sacred space with God, raising her hands, she gave me something that I didn't even know I was receiving. I wouldn't know fully or understand what she gave me until um, well into my adulthood where praising God was going to be a lifeline for me to keep going when life throws me curveballs. She created sacred space with God. So we just celebrated Resurrection Sunday where we remember what God did for us on the cross. In that moment alone, Jesus modeled and passed down to, to um, pass down in his obedience what it looked like to stay the course, to serve, to forgive and love in a way that we can't always comprehend, like loving your enemies. Out of his great love for us, he sacrificed himself for the very people who treated him like their enemies. In his last breath, he utters this, these words, God, 
forgive them for they know not what they do. And it is finished. However, that wasn't the end. He didn't stop there. He continued to reveal himself to countless people, proving he is alive, proving he defeated death. And because of his sacrifice, we have all access to God, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. Jesus directs the followers to wait in Jerusalem Jesus was going to pass the baton by inviting the disciples and the followers to receive what they would need for the next leg of the race. However, it was going to look different and require something different from them to carry on. So for the disciples and the followers of Jesus, up until this point, they were being developed and prepared for the very... um, for this very moment in Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit, the comforter to empower them to run the race set before them, whereby inviting them to run the race um, and today participate in a way, us today, participate in a way that will make us more effective to do the work he has called us to do. Which leads us to, to this encounter that Paul has with the 12 men where he asked two significant questions and I'm going to read that passage now in Acts 19 verses 1 through 5 while Apollos was in Corinth Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed he asked them no they replied we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Then when Paul laid his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and spoke, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 men in all. Paul was not calling them to a different type of baptism. They didn't know about what Jesus did on the cross. Nowadays, because of technology, we get information in the news so quickly. However, we have to remember back then, that was not the case. For them, they had not heard the good news. John's baptism only pointed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was clear that he was merely preparing hearts to receive something more. Mark chapter one, verse seven through eight, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what they were missing. They didn't know they were missing something significant. They had no idea. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know until we're told. 
So Paul was bringing to their attention that they couldn't stop at repentance. While repentance is necessary, it was merely to prepare their hearts to fully receive and prepare their hearts um, to fully receive and understand their need for the gift from Jesus, which is the comforter, the Holy Spirit that prays the prayers we do not know to pray, who gives us the words to speak when we need it most, who longs to guide us, give us discernment, direct us, and so much more. We see that as soon as the 12 men believed and received the Spirit, they received the finishing work of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, which then enabled them to do things that they never imagined possible. So today, whenever we say yes to Jesus, we immediately get the power of the Holy Spirit. This brings me to point number one. In order to stay the course, belief in Jesus will enable you to operate in his power. We can do nothing apart from him. John chapter 15, verse five says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Acts, in Acts chapter 19, verse eight through 12, we see that the Holy Spirit is enabling Paul to preach boldly arguing persuasively, performing miracles of healing, and casting evil spirits. There is no way he could do all these things along with Peter and many others without the power of the Holy Spirit, which will empower them and us to stay the course. So where are you needing the power of the Holy Spirit today to do the impossible? Where are you being called to step out of your comfort zone Where are you invited not to stop where you are, but keep going to speak boldly and to trust him? Is it in your marriage? Maybe the community in which you live in, workplace, financial situation, health issues, rearing kids? Or is it releasing and trusting him with what what you thought life was going to look like by this point? Maybe you thought you were gonna be married by now, have children by now, or even home to home by now. And the list can go on. Or maybe God has whispered an assignment that he has given to you to do, which seems scary, like starting that business or sharing the good news of Jesus to a longtime friend. Well, wherever you find yourself in the journey, tempted to abandon the course you've been given, I encourage you to invite Jesus into those hard places. Allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move through you. He longs to empower you to carry on. So later we see in Acts chapter 19, verse 13 through 20, a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord, Jesus, in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? 
Then the man with the evil spirit leaped up on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confess their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So in this strange account of the seven sons of Sceva trying to imitate Paul's anointing of casting out evil spirits, we see they yield results different from Paul. Instead of casting out the evil spirits successfully like Paul did, they found themselves overpowered by the evil spirits they came to cast out. So what was so wrong with what they did? So emulating Paul wasn't the problem. We want to model what's good. Jesus modeled what it looked like to serve. As I mentioned earlier, my grandma's worship modeled for me, put me, um, gave me a desire to have my own prayer life. However, the extension of her hands raised up to the heavens praising God was more than a physical act, but rather it was a manifestation of her private relationship with God. It was born out of her lived out relationship with God in those hard and challenging places and those places where you want where there's joy. So anything else than that relationship with God would only be an exterior expression of, of a, a relationship with Jesus. So my grandmother's intimate relationship with Jesus, which caused all who knew her to ask her to pray for them, including me, <laughs> there was nothing um, wrong with us asking her to pray for us. But where we went wrong was that we believed that we didn't have the same access to God like she did, and we would be partially right. An intimate relationship requires intentionality, trust, vulnerability, and surrender. You can't manufacture that type of relationship. However, anyone who receives Jesus fully has immediate access. There are no longer any barriers between you and God. I tell my, God, my kids often, you can't have my faith. You gotta get your own. I want them to have their own. Anything else won't last. I've heard people um, make mention of their parents' faith as if their parents' faith is their faith. <laughs> and you know what? That can only take them so far which we saw earlier with the 12 men, their baptism of repentance could only take them so far. They couldn't stop there. They needed to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So what was so wrong with what the sons of Sceva did? Well, they quickly learned that they couldn't replicate what Paul did without the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 19 verses 15 to 16, the evil spirit exposes their relationship with God by mentioning they know Paul and they know Jesus, but they don't know them. So aside from them trying to replicate what 
they saw with wrong motives, a wrong heart posture, they were mixing the name of Jesus with their incantations. I learned that Ephesus was the center of black magic and the occult practice. They most likely were traveling town to town, earning a living, using the name of deities of their day for their gain and attempted to do the same with the name of Jesus as Paul did. But not realizing this God is different from all others. This is the God above all other gods. Therefore, their efforts yielded different results because their effort, their heart posture was out of place, which brings me to point number two. The power of the Holy Spirit, along with the correct heart posture, will yield the right results. We see God still uses this exchange for his glory because Acts chapter 19, verses 17 to 22, it caused everyone who witnessed this um, thing that happened with the sons of Sceva, they were, they were impacted so that they threw all of their incantations, um, their books and their incantations into the bonfire. God is always trying to encourage us to do the right thing, not just for the sake of doing the right thing, but with the appropriate heart posture. So we see this when he um, tells us not to, to make our prayer or giving a public display because then it becomes about us and our agenda and nothing to do with him. So our God is so concerned with our heart posture that he tells us if we're tithing and we have an issue with someone, leave our offering and go make peace. Then he will accept our offering. You know, I'm, I immediately thought of uh, Cain and Abel, how I, I didn't understand at first glance why God was um, displeased with Cain's um, uh, offering. It was Cain's heart posture. That is what displeased God. He did the right thing, but his heart posture was wrong. So I leave you with these questions. Where are you doing the right things, but your heart posture is off? Where are you operating in the life apart from the Holy Spirit? You know, I had some family live with me and while I learned how, out of that experience, how to really um, create healthy boundaries, I would love to say that as I was helping them, I had the right posture. I will have to say, I didn't always. And so um, we wanna make sure that we're constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to help us so that we can have a posture that glorifies God. So in all of Paul's missionary journeys, we see that he's moving with urgency, boldness, and authority. He is clear on the course that he has been given, called to run. Um, he, he knows what he's called to run, which he is fully aware, which he knows he will be met with opposition and even death. He doesn't let this reality deter him or derail the purpose um, to which he has been called to. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within him, he is influencing many to come to know the only one who could set the captives free. However, we see Demetrius also has influence, but using it for his selfish and greedy gains. 
So in uh, chapter um, Acts, chapter 19, verses 24 to 28, it says this. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from our business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two things are revealed about Demetrius's heart posture, his absolute greed <laughs> and influence. Paul and Demetrius has influence, but Demetrius uses his influence for his own gain and in opposition to God's plan. Instead, he riles up the people in such a frenzy that they don't even know why they were there. In this age of media, whether it's the TV or social, um, social media, we're being influenced and often riled up towards one position or another. We all have influence, whether big or small. The size doesn't matter, but what we do with the influence we have does. You're influencing someone, whether you realize it or not. My kids always emulated what I did rather than what I said. Which brings me to point number three. In order to stay the course, we need to use our influence wisely. Where do you have influence? How are you using your influence to reflect God's heart? The church is going through so many transitions. Our country is going through a shift. How are you using your influence to bring about peace and love to your home, which reflects God's glory, to your community, to your workplace, to a world in desperate need of it, so that God gets the glory? In Acts chapter 19, verses 35 to 41, we see the mayor intervene and bring calm and peace to the situation, which de-escalates the tension. Um, verses 35 to 41 says, at last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. 
If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the court are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they disperse. Well, with the rise of hate towards our Asian and Asian American brothers and sisters and the resurfacing of injustices of hate towards black and brown brothers and sisters, how are you using your influence to reflect God's glory and love to the powerless wherever evil and injustice rears its ugly head? Two weeks ago, I um, was taking my son to go shopping, grocery shopping. In fact, he is away from us. He's doing his senior year um, up in Huntington Beach, pursuing his love of basketball. And so we went to the grocery store so he can gather some things. And um, we got separated at some point. And so I was headed to the produce area and I came upon two women arguing. And it was looking, it looked like it was about to escalate. So um, as I approached them, I had two choices. I could mind my own business and continue shopping, or I could intervene and hopefully de-escalate what was happening. So one of the reasons why I decided to intervene was because I saw that one of the women were, uh, was Asian. And because of the rise of hate, I wanted to know I was trying to assess whether or not this was um, hate rearing its ugly head. So as I tried to assess what was going on, um, long story short, I was able to de-escalate what was going on and the two women um, went their separate, separate ways. So, you know, using your influence, it's gonna cost something whether it's your time or risking how you will be perceived, it will cost you something. I love Paul's demeanor. He's not concerned about how he's received. He has a take it or leave it kind of attitude, not in a mean way, because he knows what he is offering is ultimately for the good of the hearer. As a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> I am slowly getting to that place one step at a time, right? And so you might say, surely I can't do what you did. But remember, God will empower us for what the moment calls for. And our influence could be as simple as smiling or saying hello to those in our society that are easily dismissed. Finally, we see um, that Paul is fully aware that what awaits him in Jerusalem, which is jail and suffering, is inevitable, very much like Jesus, who knew that there was no way he could avoid um, the suffering, that he would have to drink the cup of wrath that would be, um, that's meant for us, but that he would get gladly sacrifice himself and drink it for our good. 
So Paul summarizes his journey up until this point by saying in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 18 to 32, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart from himself. Which brings me to my last point. Point number four. In order to stay the course, leave nothing unfinished. Paul was able to say unequivocally that he has left nothing undone. He finished the race set before him. Scripture says um, Jesus will return like a thief. We won't know the time or the place, and it's not ours to know. All we are responsible to do is remain faithful and not do the work that was, and to do the work that was prepared for us, each one of us to do. Paul is confident that he has done what he was called to do. So whatever awaits him, he's not worried with regrets because he has none. 
I can't help to draw a comparison to Martin Luther King's I've been to the mountaintop speech. He explained that as he was boarding the plane from Atlanta to Memphis, uh, because he was on the plane, they double-checked all the baggage to ensure, to ensure a safe flight. By this point, he was aware that many wanted to kill him. In fact, prior to him taking this flight, um, he was in New York um, years later, years before, excuse me, um, doing a book signing, and this deranged woman who happened to be black uh, stabbed him with um, a mail opener. And so she stabbed him in his chest, and it was so close to the aorta that they said if he sneezed, he would have been dead. He would have drowned in his own blood. So as he was recovering, he uh, received countless letters of encouragement and well wishes, but he, and from important people, mind you. But he said the one letter that impacted him the most was this letter that this uh, little girl who was in the ninth grade, she was a white girl, uh, sent her a letter and said, I'm so glad that you didn't sneeze. And that letter really impacted him. <sighs> I'm going to read this, um, that speech for you. You know, Paul is confident that he's done what he's called to do. So whatever race awaits him, he doesn't. He's not worried with regrets. And Martin has that same um, thing about him, too. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. What? I'm happy tonight? How can you say that, Martin, knowing your life is in danger? Apostle Paul and Martin were similar in their boldness and fearlessness of what lied ahead because they did what God assigned them to do without hesitation. They knew there was a greater gift awaiting them. They emptied themselves of themselves in order to stay the course, which enabled them to know the course that they have to that they've been given to run and the price it would require. Only you can know the answer to this question. What course have I been given to run? 
And the only way I know to answer that you can answer that question is by spending time with God, asking and seeking with willingness to be obedient. (sighs) How can you share the good news about the wonderful grace of God? So you've been given a baton. How are you gonna use what you've been given to be a people who stay the course? I say, believing in Jesus, which will enable you to operate in his power. And then the power of the Holy Spirit, along with the correct heart posture, which will yield the right results. Using your influence wisely. And then number four, finishing well. Leaving nothing unfinished. So I can't end this study without extending an invitation to anyone who have not yet said yes to Jesus. I want you to acknowledge, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a savior. It's as simple as saying, forgive me for all my sins and to receive the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. And then to come to him with all your flaws, ready to follow him. If that is your heart posture, and you believe that and say that with all of your being, you have said yes to Jesus. So if that is you, I would love for you to tell your group leader, contact Coley or Jill, Tell someone so that you have someone that can come alongside you to walk this journey of following Christ, Jesus Christ, with all your heart, mind, and soul. So let me end us in prayer. (sighs) Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word and the power of your word and what your word is able to do to equip us for the journey that you have set before us, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us. Give us discernment. Give us boldness. Help us to use our influence so that you ultimately get the glory. Father, we can't do it without you, nor do we want to. We thank you that you are faithful. Even when we're not faithful, you are faithful. You're faithful to complete your perfect work that you have started within us. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.